wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for February 15th, 2018. I am Graham Jason Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. We are one day removed from Valentine's Day. So if you like the holiday, hopefully you enjoyed it. If not, it is over, so there is something to be happy about there. Either way, we do have a stacked show on tap for you fine folks here today. Though for the first time in many months, I will be flying solo. No real reason, just didn't really have time to schedule anyone for the show here today. But we will be back probably to having guests here in the show starting next week. So speaking of which, if you would like to appear on a future episode of WrestleRant Radio, reach out. Let me know in the contact form on nextdaywrestling.net or simply tweet me on, on WrestleRant on the Twitter machine, at WrestleRant, I should say, or on Facebook, facebook.com, backslash graham.gism.matthews. See how I work those plugs in there? But um, more seriously, uh, you guys can absolutely reach out if you want to appear on a WrestleRant radio. Past guest, first time ever, either way. Would love to have you guys here on the show to shoot the shit about WWE and everything else wrestling-related. Real quick, before we get started here, you guys can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Simply search up Wrestle Rant Radio on Apple Podcast. You'll get every archived episode in the show's history from October of 2013 to present day as well. New episodes uploaded every single Thursday. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Or you could simply watch or listen to the show rather every Thursday at nextdaywrestling.net. Still available right there on the website under the audio archive section. So like I said, guys, a lot of stuff to break down this week, not only between Raw, SmackDown, NXT, 205 Live, and everything else, but a lot of news items as well. Um, we'll talk a bit about each one from the last week, some breaking a couple days ago, a few breaking today. Usually I record WrestleRant Radio on Wednesday afternoons before putting it up at midnight on Thursdays, you know, with the guests and whatnot. So, But since I didn't have a guest here on today's show, I'll be flying solo um, I figured I would just wait until Thursday morning, afternoon, whatever, to record the show. And I'm happy I did, because on Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, a lot of news broke from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which is when it usually goes up. So when we record the show on Wednesdays, I kind of miss out on a lot of those news items. So I'm glad I'll be able to talk about um, a handful of them here today on the show. But first and foremost, though, this was a report that broke from PW Insider back, I think, on Monday. Um, about WWE possibly wanting to do away with the dual brand pay-per-views. Now, this is really interesting. Since the WWE brought back the brand extension in the summer of 2016, um, they've been doing brand-exclusive pay-per-views, obviously with the exception of the big four, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. And it's been reported for a while that Money in the Bank will likely be another dual brand pay-per-view come June, um, I think in Chicago, which is pretty cool considering that was the site of the 2011 Money in the Bank pay-per-view, one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time, but nonetheless, that was an expected move because Money in the Bank should have been a dual-brand pay-per-view to begin with. It's probably more anticipated, more exciting 
more important at this point than Survivor Series, but that's merely one's opinion. Nonetheless, um, this came after it was reported, or almost basically confirmed, from Ticketmaster, sending out an email to anyone who had already purchased tickets for Backlash in May, I think in Newark at the Prudential Center, if I'm not mistaken, saying that show will also be a dual-brand pay-per-view, leading to a lot of speculation while we get more dual-brand pay-per-views in the future. Well, like I said, PW Insider then broke the news that all pay-per-views moving forward after WrestleMania 34 might be dual-brand events. A lot of pros and cons to this. A lot of mixed feelings. A lot of mixed emotions, mixed feelings from yours truly. Um, when they first started doing the brand exclusive pay per views, I was torn because I knew that, you know, one thing that I was I was vehemently, very very much against rather when they started bringing back the brand split when it was first announced about two years ago, was that I didn't want to return to that time from like the mid two thousands, where we would get pay per views with fucking Matt Hardy. Versus Gregory Helms in the undercard. Matches that no one could give two shits about. And honestly, there, w- there was a lot of great SmackDown pay-per-views, I thought, in late 2016, when the brand was firing in all cylinders. But going into 2017, and I've talked about this before, I think with John and others here on the show, Jamie Lee Mack and a few others, that 2017 really, in my opinion, did not produce many great pay-per-views at all. Which is sad for a year featuring what? 18 pay-per-views, something ridiculous like that. Not every month is two pay-per-views, but when you have Elimination Chamber and Fastlane in the same month, and then you have Backlash and Extreme Rules and Money in the Bank and Great Balls of Fire and Battleground, it's too much. It's way too much content. We already have enough WWE content on a weekly basis between the three-hour Raws, two-hour SmackDowns, Mixed Match Challenge, NXT, 205 Live... All this other stuff, not only, I mean, not even including the stuff they put on the network that's not in-ring content, stuff like that. So we already have enough WWE content to not be getting more pay-per-views, which was, to me, ridiculous from the get-go. But I still enjoyed the fact that in getting these brand-exclusive events, more people would get more airtime. Like, you would never see, uh, like, a Cruiserweight match. That would never be a staple on a WWE pay-per-view if we did not have brand-exclusive events. And even now, they still aren't. Sometimes the Cruiserweights are still relegated to the kickoff show. And that was before the Cruiserweight division kind of got turned around. But nonetheless, we'll talk about that more a little later on in my 205 Live review. Um, But if they do do away with the brand-exclusive events after WrestleMania, what does this mean for guys like Rusev and people that don't even make the pay-per-view cards to begin with? There were a handful of pay-per-views in 2017 that right after Finn Balor came back from his injury, he was not a part of because they had no plans for him. Could you imagine what would happen to a guy like him if these pay-per-views started to feature Raw and SmackDown talents together every single month? And the report is that we're also getting the same amount of pay-per-views. If they do away with the brand-exclusive events... They will not change the amount of pay-per-views we're getting in 2018, which to me is so stupid because it's only February. They have only announced ticket information, I think, for Backlash in May, obviously the upcoming pay-per-views, but those won't be affected, Fastlane and Elimination Chamber, and WrestleMania. Um, but beyond Backlash, I'm not sure if they've announced any other dates like that are set in stone for pay-per-views in the remainder of 2018, so... If we do go back to the old format of having Raw and SmackDown share pay-per-views, 
why wouldn't you get rid of pay-per-views where there's two in the same month? That is overkill. And they've done it before, but not to the extent that they did it in 2017 and a little later on in 2016 too. It's overkill. It's way too much. Having pay-per-views every two weeks with the same guys in the shows, if you're going to have them you know, share pay-per-views between Raw and SmackDown, to me is so ridiculously dumb. I love the fact, of, I think a happy medium, which I might have brought up when they brought back the brand split back in 2016. What I liked about the original brand split before they did away with the brand exclusive events was how they kind of had the Raw and SmackDown pay-per-views every other month. And they've done that a little bit recently. I know in October we had both TLC and um, whatever the SmackDown show was. Hell in the Cell, I think. But in November, we only had one pay-per-view that was Survivor Series, shared by both Raw and SmackDown. December, we didn't have a Raw and a SmackDown show. We just had a SmackDown show, and it was Clash of Champions. That was it. Um, September, same thing, only a Raw show. We only had No Mercy for Raw. Obviously, January, we had just the Royal Rumble, and now we have a, a Raw and a SmackDown pay-per-view before WrestleMania in Elimination Chamber and in Fastlane. But I like the original format from a few years ago, from like a decade, not even a few years ago at this point, but like 10 or 15 years ago, where it would be like a SmackDown pay-per-view in February, that being No Way Out or Elimination Chamber. April would get Backlash for Raw or SmackDown, but probably Raw. May would be like Judgment Day for SmackDown. June would be Vengeance or whatever for, for Raw. Uh, July would be Great American Bash, and then they would share a SummerSlam. I like that format a lot. I think that's a happy medium where in the meantime, you could say to yourself, oh, what do you do with the two months of no pay-per-view time for both brands? You make the TV episodes more important by holding episodes similar to what we saw at the tail end of 2016 with SmackDown. Remember that wild card episode? That one, where it was like AJ and Corbin and Ziggler for the WWE Championship in like a three-way match, and they advertised all this stuff from like John Cena's return to Becky Lynch versus Alexa Bliss for the SmackDown Women's title. They had like a fatal four-way tag team title match. They had all these great, heavily hyped-up matches on a two-hour show. It felt like a pay-per-view, essentially. It felt like a two-hour pay-per-view. And it was one of the best SmackDown shows I have seen in years and years and years. They haven't really done a lot of that since. Um, probably since they have since moved away from that. From what I assume the original SmackDown crew, the writing team that made that show so great in 2016 and early 2017. And now it's been dull ever since WrestleMania. But nonetheless... Um, I think with, I think that format works a lot where, you know, say for after WrestleMania, if they only, if they go back to having fewer pay-per-views, you have the April pay-per-view be raw for backlash, whatever. And then raw does not get another pay-per-view until June. In the meantime, you have a SmackDown show. And in that meantime, in, in the month of May for raw, you could do a grand episode where you hype up all these, maybe rematches or a title match or whatever. And you should still be doing that in the meantime. Anyway, I think raw and sometimes SmackDown do a decent job of hyping stuff up in advance and making shows feel important, uh, like one week in advance. I'm not talking hours in advance on WWE.com or no shit like that. I'm talking like one week in advance to make it feel like a major happening, you know, a big deal. I'm all for that, um, but it doesn't look like WWE is going in that direction. Like I said, getting rid of dual brand pay-per-views. It's not the worst thing in the world. Um, I know that was kind of step one in kind of going back to no brand extension at all when they first had the you know the initial brand split ten years ago. Getting rid of the dual brand pay per views after WrestleMania, I think it was twenty three, 
uh, yeah, I think it was 23 in 2007, was the first step in them going back to having one singular show, one singular roster. And that wouldn't happen officially for another few years, probably until 2011. Officially, it ended in 2013. Um, but really, after the Super Show shit from Raw in 2011, SmackDown was never the same after that, and it never really recovered. SmackDown cannot go back to being irrelevant. SmackDown was a show that no one gave two shits about, or barely even watched, around that point. And no ratings aren't through the roof. They've been better at certain points. But I... I absolutely feel that having the brand split around is for the better. We have way more stars now than we did two years ago without the brand split. Now it's not just Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. Now it's AJ Styles, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, and a few others. I mean, they tried to make something out of Jinder Mahal. Obviously, it didn't work. But they have a few other stars like a, a Sami Zayn or a Kevin Owens and obviously AJ and Shinsuke Nakamura. Do you think half those guys would be at the main event level if there was one singular roster? I don't think so. I honestly do not think Nakamura would have won that Royal Rumble match had we only had one roster. If it was really only down to one world title, it would have been Roman Reigns winning the Royal Rumble again and going on to face Brock for the belt at WrestleMania. All the SmackDown guys that we have right now would be at the upper mid card at most. We can't go back to doing that. If not anytime soon, at the very least. Um, I, I do think the brand split is for the better. And moving back to the days of having the super shows and stuff like that, the roster is too big. They have way too much talent to go back to having those shows where it's all the same people in one show. I know there was a concern when they first started up, up the brand split two years ago. How are they going to fill two hours of Raw? Or three hours of Raw, rather. How are they going to fill two hours of SmackDown? I think, by and large, they've done a decent job with the people they have on these brands. SmackDown, they filled out very well. Raw, they have the cruiserweights and stuff like that. But even, like, this show, this past week's show, I thought was very, very good. They made great use of the three-hour format. There weren't even any cruiserweights in the show. They had a few women's matches. They had a number of other matches pertaining to Elimination Chamber. They all meant something. They were well-wrestled. They got more time. I'm not saying I would not be in favor of Raw going back to two hours. That would be amazing. I think a two-hour Raw is way better and more effective than a three-hour Raw. But in the meantime, I think they are making a good use of the three hours, at least recently anyway. I think Raw has been doing very well for itself, a lot better than it has been in the past since the start of 2018. The same cannot be said for SmackDown, but it goes back to my point that you don't need to get rid of the brand split. People are freaking out. Is the end of the brand split nigh? Is the end near? All this other shit. Let's not overreact. I could see what they mean. I think it was cited that low ticket sales were the reason as to why they might be going back to doing, you know, dual brand pay-per-views every month or twice a month, which would be fucking overkill, like I said. But, I don't know, ticket... Low ticket sales would be the problem no matter what. I don't think anything... The, the attendance was down for SummerSlam, and that's a dual brand show. I don't think Survivor Series was sold out this year, was it? You know, so I don't really think that's going to solve anything. They're going to be like, oh shit, we might have to go back to doing brand exclusive pay-per-views because it's not really making a difference right now. But anyway, I mean, we'll see. I, I expect that some sort of announcement will be made sooner rather than later. I know that's the rumor right now that WWE will make an official announcement at some point in the near future. Um, it was also reported by PW Insider just today that the talent was not informed of the pay-per-views being 
dual branded again, likely after WrestleMania, which again, does not surprise me at all. Weren't these the same people that were not informed about the, the brand extension, the draft being brought back a few years ago? The talent, I feel like, are the last people to find out about anything. We, the internet, find out before the wrestlers do, which is not the way that it should be. That screams Mickey Mouse operation in my mind, like something that TNA would have done and still could do, but they're under new management, so I'll give them a break. Um, but that's that, That's not surprising at all. I feel like the talent would not know about the pay-per-views being dual-branded again after WrestleMania. They should. They don't, though. And it was also reported by PW Insider that we we could be getting a draft at that backlash show, which which might explain why it's a dual brand pay per view. I would save the draft for Raw. Um, I like the format they did last year in extending the draft from Raw and SmackDown, um, and doing it on both shows just to kind of make it even and not make Raw feel like the flagship show and hosting the draft and SmackDown gets nothing. Though I will say the the format. The formula they used for that superstar shakeup last year was terrible. People were randomly showing up for no reason. No trades were made. People just showed up for no real reason at all. That annoyed the hell out of me. That was really, really lazy. But if they have, you know, if they do something similar to the original draft, um, you know, back in 2016 where they have the GMs pick out people or they negotiate trades and shit, I'm all for that. I like the original draft they had, you know, years and years ago. As a fan, I enjoyed it. In retrospect, the logic was a little dumb in having wrestlers fight for draft picks. Like, that could get real uneven real quickly. And it gets a bit predictable, too. Um, and it's, like, randomized. Like, what if Raw got all of SmackDown's top stars? And then in return, SmackDown got fucking Kurt Hawkins and Goldust from Raw. You know what I mean? So, that to me is not all that fair. But nonetheless... Um, we'll see where this heads, where this is going, uh, what happens with the dual brand pay-per-views after WrestleMania. I do fully expect that we're getting a draft or a superstar shakeup or whatever the fuck they want to call it. I'm glad they're only doing one a year. I know it was rumored months ago that we might be getting one after SummerSlam, which never happened. Thank God. Um, there are a few people that could switch shows right now, but at this point, with it being mid-February, you might as well wait until after WrestleMania. Um, so I do expect them to do that, but the dual brand pay-per-view is still up in the air. It does look like they're headed in that direction. I'm not in complete full favor of it, but we'll see how it shakes out. Also in the news this week, Ivory was confirmed for the WWE Hall of Fame by ESPNW, ESPN Women, I believe it was. Um, a, a worthy candidate. I know it's been rumored for a while that she would be WWE Hall of Fame bound. Obviously a pioneer of women's wrestling and the attitude of former women's champion. Part of, uh, not IRS, what was that? That faction. They brought it up in her video package and the tribute video on, on Raw this week. Right the censor was the faction. With Stevie Richards, The Good Father, Bull Buchanan, all those guys. Um, good faction. Or maybe not really, but she was a part of it. Former women's champion. Um, so yeah, cool to see her a part of the Hall of Fame come WrestleMania weekend this year. On the note of the Hall of Fame, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter noted a couple of days ago. And it kind of um, you know picked up steam in recent days. That one person, one surprising individual that might be considered for the Hall of Fame this year is Jeff Jarrett. Um, there's been a few other names that we all figured Goldberg, the Dudley Boys, and Ivory were pretty much set in stone. There's a few other names <clears throat> that have been floated around that have not really been brought up since, so it's kind of up in the air whether they're going to be inducted or not. I know Christian and William Regal were discussed last year. They did not end up getting inducted. This could be their year. Um, but other names included Mark Henry, 
who is absolutely worthy, no doubt in my mind. Bam Bam Bigelow, long overdue. But also, Jeff Jarrett, the founder of TNA Wrestling, could be going into the WWE Hall of Fame this coming year, which I'm in total favor of, if only just to get him back in the company for one night. Um, I don't think he needs to be brought back in a regular role. Just to think, the interesting thing about Jeff Jarrett and the fact that he was being brought up for the Hall of Fame was the fact that he left the company in such bad terms in the late 90s. He walked out on that, I think the No Mercy 99 pay-per-view held up the company for, for more money or however the story goes. And we have not seen him in WWE since. Obviously, a few years after that, he started up, he went back to WCW, but then he started up um, TNA and he was doing that for a long time. Started up Global Force, which apparently is back in full force. No pun intended, but not really because it's it's not. They did like a one-off show for like a benefit or a private show for a football team or something in like late 2017, and we have heard nothing about it since. Um, but he did go to WWE-sponsored rehab, though, and he did thank WWE for helping him through his recovery late in, in uh, late last year. So he does have that connection with the company, but they do that for everybody, though. They've done that for a bunch of people that were, I think, Kurt Angle. They did that for Kurt Angle when he was still in TNA, he went to a WWE-sponsored rehab, so anyway, um, it's not too, too surprising that he'd be going in this year after all that happened late last year, but I think he's a decent, worthy induction. With the way the Hall of Fame works, it's really whoever Vince McMahon deems is worthy, um, or who's not on his shit list this year, is really what it comes down to, but between his work in WWE as a multi-time Intercontinental Champion, a fixture of the 90s, whether you like it or not in WWE and also a multi-time former WCW champion. Whether he was worthy of that position or not is arguable, very arguable. But the guy was a top star in WCW, whatever the definition of top star was by 2000. And he was also uh, an entertaining act in WWE for a long time there in the 90s. So by my, by all accounts, in my opinion, he would be Hall of Fame worthy. I would absolutely give him the nod. It would be cool to see him back if only for one night only. And he would become the fourth person to enter both the WWE, or fifth technically, to enter both the WWE Hall of Fame and the TNA Hall of Fame. Uh, The other is being Sting in 2015, or 2016, 2017 being Kurt Angle, and the order that they were inducted in the TNA Hall of Fame too, which is funny. Um, And then the Dudley Boys, who were also going in this year. So they're they're literally following the same formula that they went in, the, the same pattern that they went into the TNA Hall of Fame. And I think so, too. I think the TNA Hall of Fame Sting went in in 2012. Kurt Angle went in 2013. 2014 was the Dudley Boys. Um, 2015, they had Jarrett first and then Earl Hebner. So Jarrett would be next on the list. Earl Hebner is also very much worthy of a WWE Hall of Fame induction. He's another one who, who got fired from the company in 2005 and has not been seen or acknowledged since in WWE. Um, but largely that's because he was in TNA for such a long time. He's not there anymore. Bringing him back for a one-off match would be cool, but I, hopefully he gets in at some point down the road. They haven't, they have yet to induct any referees. I don't think, um, at least by my account from my, that I can recall from my memory. But anyway, going back to Jeff Jarrett, it would be cool to see him back in WWE. If only for one night only over WrestleMania weekend, if he is indeed inducted, but that is the latest on the WWE hall of fame as of now. Plenty of other rumors and reports from the last week. Uh, I'm not nearly finished yet with the news section of today's show before we move on to Raw, SmackDown, 
and all the other WWE shows from this past week. Um, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, there is currently no talk of bringing back James Storm to WWE, um, which is unfortunate because I think James Storm would be, as I've said multiple times here on the show in the past, would be a great asset to NXT, either as a wrestler, as a coach, as a trainer, what have you. Um, I'm a little bit surprised they haven't reached out, but then again, I know the mindset of, you know, what really is, you know, who's WWE worthy or who they're going to bring in and the mindset of indie people. They bring in indie people left and right nowadays. Half the TNA roster from 2013, 2014 is currently in WWE. So that mindset is out the window. That always the TNA guy. Why would they want to touch him? Remember when AJ Styles left WWE or left TNA rather? at the tail end of 2013, I don't believe they ever reached out to him for a deal with the company. Not until 2016, which, to me, blew my mind. As one of the best wrestlers in the world at that point, um, the fact they did not reach out to him, it did not, I don't want to say broke my heart, but it was like, wow, like this guy should be there. There is no excuse to not sign AJ Styles. Um, and obviously, eventually they did. I don't know, James Storm is no AJ Styles, but he could be in a similar boat where he only became a free agent not too long ago. I know they swooped up EC3 as soon as his contract ended with TNA, but he's obviously a bigger, um, not a bigger deal. I, he kind of sort of is. I think EC3 can do much more for NXT at this point, and possibly WWE itself, than James Storm probably could as he enters the uh, twilight of his career. But he's still a very good worker. He, he appears to be in tremendous shape. To me, I always got the impression, in recent months anyway, that Storm has been working towards another run with WWE, which is why he's been staying in shape and working all over the world and doing all these indie matches to prove to WWE that he belong, that's exactly where he belongs. Um, I was also under the impression that he left on good terms, which I'm, I'm sure is the case. But Triple H had also told them the door is always open for you to return. I mean, then again, they say that to a lot of people like a John Morrison, and he's been busy doing his own thing, but there's a lot of people they say that to, and then years go by, and they kind of lose interest in those people. Um, I hope that's not the case with James Storm. I do hope they bring him in at some point. I know there was high hopes of him being brought in for the Bobby Roode U.S. Open a few weeks ago, which obviously did not end up happening. We got Mojo Raleigh instead, which was unfortunate and disappointing, to say the least. But James Storm, there's still hope. Until they say... Until I read that they have no interest in bringing in James Storm, there's merely the, the the report merely read that there's no talk of bringing in James Storm. They didn't say they didn't want the guy. But then again, they said the same thing about the TNA roster four or five years ago. I distinctly remember reading that like if TNA closed tomorrow, they really would not want anyone from that company except for Jeff Hardy and Kurt Angle. And they've taken literally 75% of the roster from TNA from late 2013. Everyone from a Bobby Roode to uh, Samoa Joe, down to the bottom of the pecking order to Rockstar Spud and Mark Andrews, who were also very talented, but they were by far, by no means, main event players in TNA in 2013, 2014, whatever. So anyway, um, hopefully there's an update on Storm in the future, but it is unfortunate. There is apparently no real update on the fact that he might be going to WWE or NXT at any point in the near future. Speaking of signing new deals, um, before I get to this next individual that I have you on the list, I forgot to write this down, but I will mention it. Uh, Dolph Ziggler, The Miz, who I, I think I, we brought up last week here on the show, um, me and John, 
Um, but Dolph Ziggler, The Miz, and Mojo Raleigh reportedly have all signed extensions for their current WWE deals. The Miz has signed for four years. That was broken. The news broke on that like about a about a week or so ago. Like I said, I think we talked about it last week here on the show. So nothing new. There, nothing new there. Um, Ziggler, though, I would say I'd be surprised when I read that Ziggler had resigned with WWE. I wasn't really surprised, but more so just let down. Because I am far from the only one who has said for at least the last year now that Ziggler would be better off elsewhere. And coming back to a better deal from the company. I'm really, really surprised that they signed him to a more lucrative deal than he had before. Like, why would you want to keep around Dolph Ziggler? Why not spend that money and bring in someone else into the company? Usually the case is like, I know a Dolph Ziggler is more of a higher, he's a higher priority than a guy like Jack Swagger, but maybe they just don't want him to go elsewhere. But they didn't do that same thing with Cody Rhodes. Like, at the time that these people had left the company, a guy like a Ryback or a Cody Rhodes or a Jack Swagger, who all arguably may not be Dolph Ziggler, but at the time they all left the company or quit or whatever, they were being offered much lesser significant deals, significantly lesser deals than they had before they had left the company. Dolph Ziggler, it appears that they upped his deal to want to make him stay with WWE. And, you know, dangling the little WWE title shot in his face, which he's had for years now and has never really followed through on. It's, it's not his fault. The guy's a great worker, but it's like, you gotta go, dude. Like, if you want... It, to me, it's evident that he does not really care about becoming a bigger star in the longer picture, as long as he's making more money. I'm not sure if there's anywhere else in the world right now that would offer him the same deal that WWE just did. And, you know, he's not being buried every single week, but it's evident that he's only going to get past... He's only going to get to a certain point before before being knocked down the, the totem pole again. He's going to work his way back up. People will think he's going to become WWE champion, and then he'll lose again. And then he'll amount to nothing. So, to me, it was very disappointing to read that. And the Miz, absolutely worthy of a four-year deal. He's been doing the best work of his career for a while now. I would say for the last two years, if not the last year and a half or so. Mojo Rally, he's a project. Um, it's not damaged goods with Mojo Rally. I think he does have potential. The thing with Mojo, though, is that... There's other people that I would I would invest in before Mojo Raleigh. Um, the heel turn was a breath of fresh air, but beyond that though, the guy I yeah, I don't think I I would ever see him getting beyond a certain level to like a main event level as a world champion. But they pushed the guy right and they actually put effort into getting him over. Then maybe he can be something. But the guy hasn't been on the show since the Rumble where he lost to Bobby Roode in a forgettable five minute match. So the fact they upped his deal to me. Not not shocking, but it's like, eh, if you really thought of him as a, as a high priority, then why aren't you pushing him more? But nonetheless, the Dolph Ziggler thing really just kind of bothered me, if only because I think he'd be better off elsewhere, and then coming back to WWE down the road is a bigger deal, but who am I to say? Speaking of contracts, Rey Mysterio is expected to sign a new part-time deal with WWE at some point down the road. I know he's currently scheduled for a match over New Japan against Jushin Thunder Liger, which sounds awesome. I know both guys are in the twilight of their respective careers, but having seen Rey Mysterio myself with the Rumble, the reaction he received was raucous. It was one of the loudest pops I heard all night. And Liger I saw in action not only a takeover Brooklyn 2, um, or t- Brooklyn 1, rather, against Tyler Breeze a few years ago, but I also saw him in action against, 
I think Flip Gordon from Ring of Honor at a Northeast Wrestling show about a year and a half ago. He's also still in very good shape and still can very much go, even at his age. He's like 50, I think 50-something. Rey Mysterio, I think, is in his early 40s, if not late 30s. But nonetheless, that sounds like a great match. I was very surprised when I heard, um, when that match was announced, that Rey Mysterio was never before competed for New Japan. That blew my mind, but really cool to see him over there, kind of following the footsteps of Chris Jericho. And a lot like Jericho, in 2018, Rey Mysterio is one of the hottest free agents in all of wrestling, which is really, really cool. Obviously, he just finished up with Lucha Underground. WWE wants him. Impact wants him. New Japan wants him. That's awesome. And again, after the shape that he appeared to be in at the Rumble, he deserves everything that's coming to him. Uh, Rey Mysterio can still very much go, even at this age of his career, even at this you know stage of his career, I should say, or at his age. Either one, I guess, really works. But the work that he was doing in Lucha... Didn't hear really many rumors of him getting hurt. I mean, I know it's a different schedule, and I know there were um, conflicting reports whether WWE wanted him to come back and what kind of deal they wanted him for. I could understand them wanting to bring him in on a full-time basis. Kurt Angle wanted the same thing. Go back to 2014, Kurt Angle wanted to return to WWE, but WWE initially said no because they wanted him back on a full-time basis. He said, my body could not take that. I would fucking die in a few weeks. My body would break down on me. So he said no and went back to Impact. And it worked out wonderfully the way that it did with him coming back last year after WrestleMania. And he's been a great asset to Raw ever since as the general manager. Rey Mysterio, I think, could be more active than Kurt Angle has been, who has only wrestled a handful of matches. Uh, On a whim, by the way, too. They weren't matches that were really advertised in advance. One was at a house show. One was at TLC that was announced literally two days beforehand. And then Survivor Series, which he was announced for, I think, uh, maybe like the day, a few weeks before the pay-per-view. But still, they didn't really make as big a, a big of a deal about it as they probably should have. With Rey Mysterio, I believe, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, he is expected to have a deal similar to that of Chris Jericho's in WWE, where he might not be working every house show, but he will be around for TVs and the occasional pay-per-views and stuff like that. So, And obviously, bringing back the brand split really helps, which is kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, where he's not working every Monday and Tuesday. He's only working every Monday or every Tuesday. I think he'd be great on SmackDown. SmackDown was the Rey Mysterio show for a long time there in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, so bringing it, back to the, uh, bringing it back to the blue brand, that's a tongue twister, would be a great idea at some point later on in 2018 after he's wrapped up his uh, you know prior uh, agreements and stuff like that. Is, uh, you know already agreed to dates on the independent scene in New Japan and other companies like that. would be uh, great to see him in WWE, back in WWE at some point down the road on a part-time basis. Um, in regards to the people leaving WWE, Brock Lesnar's deal, it's been well-documented for a while now that he could very well be on his way out of WWE after WrestleMania 34. Um, I would expect him to leave, but I guess there's a deal... There's a clause in, in place in the contract where... If they don't do any new uh, if they don't renegotiate any more than they already have, or it's something along these lines, where if they don't really tamper with the contract, it's going to automatically renew unless Brock says, "I don't want to be here anymore, I don't want to be under contract, I want to go home." So unless he says that, it's expected that it's going to carry over. It's going to roll over for another year or another six months, whatever it might be. I know it's been internally discussed. For a while now, and we talked about this with Sal a few weeks ago, 
that um, he could be sticking around, if only to do the program with Bobby Lashley. Having Brock come out the night after WrestleMania with Paul Heyman whining and bitching about Brock losing the Universal Championship um, would be a perfect place for Lashley to return and lay out Brock Lesnar. That would be fucking great, setting the stage for a SummerSlam matchup. Now, they did something similar with Braun last year. It wasn't a one-on-one match that happened at SummerSlam that happened in No Mercy the following month. And Brock kind of forced Braun to uh, back off and you know walk away with his tail in between his legs. But if you have Bobby come out, lay out Brock, slay the beast, it'd be a great way of bringing him back into the fold. Now, there were also, not reports, but pure speculation at this point. What would you do with Paul Heyman if Brock does not stick around? I think having Paul turn on Brock would be the worst thing they can do. I know there's a lot of people hoping for a Paul Heyman-Roman Reigns combo. While that would be a cool visual to have Paul serve as his mouthpiece, while that would have worked a few years ago, I think Roman is established enough at this point where he doesn't even really need Paul Heyman. I know CM Punk was a top-tier main event star when him and Paul Heyman you know, paired up in 2012, I think it was. But it was a perfect pairing because they they had that prior history. Roman and Paul have been on the, you know, opposite sides of the fence now for so long. To me, it would make very little, if any sense at all, if Roman and Paul Heyman ever aligned. It's almost the equivalent to Vincent um, Stunkel Steve Austin pairing up at WrestleMania 17. A cool moment at the time to see them on the same side, but it's also like, what fucking sense does this make at all? And it killed Steve Austin. I mean, the guy was over as a babyface. Roman, the guy's over, but he's not, you know, the babyface that he should be. They need to turn him heel, so maybe whatever route it takes, whatever it takes to turn Roman Reigns heel, maybe that's the ticket. But what if Brock ever comes back? You need the Paul Heyman-Brock Lesnar combo. I, I think without Brock, without one, the other one really isn't, isn't as effective especially with Brock without Paul. Um, so I wouldn't split them up. But you could always have Brock just leave. And then um, Ronda Rousey comes out the next night on Raw with Paul Heyman. You know, Ronda Rousey being the first ever Paul Heyman girl. That, to me, makes a lot of sense. There's been a lot of talk now who's going to be the first ever Paul Heyman girl. We haven't had a Paul Heyman guy in like four years since Cesaro went down the tubes. So there's obviously been a lot of hesitation with putting anyone with Paul Heyman. It's not Paul Heyman's fault. It's not Cesaro's fault or Curtis Axel's fault. Either they didn't have the chemistry or it was just WWE's booking of them. In the case of Cesaro and Heyman, the way WWE booked them, especially Cesaro, to lose and lose and lose killed any appeal that pairing had. So I would assume they would not do the same thing with Paul Heyman and Ronda Rousey considering it's Ronda fucking Rousey. So, um, I would put those two together coming out of WrestleMania. That would be a great pairing if Brock is not around. I mean, you could still have Brock around and also do Heyman and Ronda. It, depend if Ron- it depends if Ronda's going to be a babyface or a heel. I know Brock really isn't a face or a heel. He's Brock Lesnar. Maybe you could do something similar with Ronda. Um, but it's also different because Brock Lesnar isn't here every week. So, he can get away with that. Ronda is expected to be full-time starting at Elimination Chamber. Now, speaking of Ronda Rousey, she has been added to the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view later on this month. It was announced by Kurt Angle on Raw this week that she will be signing with the Raw brand at the pay-per-view and officially signing her WWE contract. Now, the fanfare surrounding this, so that was terrible, 
Angle threw it out there like, oh, tomorrow night on SmackDown, you're getting this match. Like, that was like the level of enthusiasm that he had shown when he had talked about Ronda showing up at the pay-per-view. That should be a huge deal. Ronda Rousey is new. They're hot, you know, their new toy. Their biggest new star with a lot of mainstream appeal. That should have carried a lot more fanfare than it did. So while I was disappointed with the fact, with the, with the way that he announced it, the announcement itself is pretty cool. Um, we all figured she would show up. She would show up probably soon after the Chamber pay per view anyway. Um, but having her show up at the pay per view itself makes a lot of sense. They'll be in Las Vegas that night. Obviously, it had hosted many of fights for Ronda Rousey in the UFC. So having a return to Vegas for her first night as an official. WWE Superstar would be great. Um, and you could probably kick off an angle there. You know, you could probably do something similar to what we saw 10 years ago at No Way Out 2008, which I think was also in Las Vegas with uh, Floyd Mayweather and Big Show. Where Big Show had come out, I think his grand return of the company, um, he took out Rey Mysterio, he was bullying him or something along those lines. And then Floyd M- Money Mayweather jumped the guardrail, attacked Big Show with just these beautiful punches, that looked like they didn't connect, but they did. Busting up Big Show. Fucking him up big time. And it was a great angle. A hot, hot angle to kick off the road to WrestleMania 24. Um, I don't know who else you would be able to do that with with Ronda. I would assume that she'll be doing something with um, with Stephanie at WrestleMania and Triple H as part of the next tag team match. So I'm not sure if she could do that with Stephanie. But it would be pretty great if she beat the shit out of Stephanie on that pay-per-view and made her bleed and that's what kind of kicks off their feud going into WrestleMania. Um, but I would assume they will cross paths at some point, you know, at, at the, on the pay-per-view coming up later this month. Um, a few other news and notes real quick before we move on to my Raw and SmackDown thoughts from the last week. Uh, WWE officially announced their signing of Amin Preet Singh. I don't know if that's even pronounced his first name. I don't believe so. Amin Preet Singh, otherwise known as Mahabali Shira from Impact Wrestling. Oof, I know why they signed him. Obviously, they want to boost their Indian market. But based off what I saw of his work in Impact, the guy sucks. He's got zero appeal. In the ring, anyway. I know the whole Indian Indian demographic and all that other shit. Um, And what's so funny to me was that Impact also tried to break into India, you know, I think last summer. They based their whole tapings around Mahabalashira. Then he disappeared off the face of the earth on Impact TV. It was reported real quietly that he had left the company. He was let go. And now he's in WWE um, as part of the Performance Center. So I'm not a huge fan of this news. To me, it was comical because people have been saying for years now, oh, WWE is becoming TNA. They're taking on the TNA talent. It's like, okay, I get it with AJ and Joe and then Aries and Rude and a few others. But now it's like they're literally taking anyone who is literally anyone. I'm not going to say any top star of Impacts or of TNAs. Because that's not true. I would think a guy like Magnus deserves more of a shot in NXT than Mahabalashira does, but he's also not Indian, so that would explain probably why. Um, but with, you know, we have Rockstar Spud in there now, EC3, Bobby Lash is expected to come in at some point. We have fucking Gunner in NXT, uh, going under a different name, but Gunner from TNA is in NXT. Mark Andrews, who's great, but he was also a former Impact star, and a number of others, so it's like, Anyone who has ever contract, ever anyone who has ever under contract Impact is winding up in WWE, and it's hilarious. So hopefully he improves, because 
I was not impressed at all by his by his um impact work, but we'll see. I guess time will tell. Um, also, quick note here: Will Osprey revealed on the Talk Is Jericho podcast on Valentine's Day on Wednesday. I think he appeared on the podcast alongside his fiance or his girlfriend or his wife. I tried to look up who it was. I know it's 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 a significant other, but I looked up on Wikipedia to see what the relationship. I think they're I think they're husband and wife, but I'm not exactly sure. He's only 24 years old, so I don't really know. But anyway, more importantly, he had revealed on the podcast that he had turned down a deal from WWE. At what point he didn't say, though we did say they approached him with a deal and he turned them down, uh, if only because his schedule was too crazy. He had brought up the fact they had to work on Christmas, and Christmas is super special to him. It is to everyone, dude, and they did it anyway, but I understand what he means. He's obviously having a lot of fun right now in New Japan. Um, it seems like he will not be re-signing with Ring of Honor, if he hasn't already. He was at the Final Battle pay-per-view. I don't know if he was on TV after that. I thought he appeared on an episode of Ring of Honor TV after that, but... He might not have been. Anyway, um, he was at the Final Battle pay-per-view. He lost to Matt Taven. I honestly think that they have not really used Osprey to his, you know, his fullest potential in Ring of Honor. Not to say that they should make him the champion or anything, the top world champion on the show. But it's like he's one of the best wrestlers in the world on, like, ricochet level. And they have done nothing with the guy. Now, I know he's kind of a carryover from New Japan, and he's not there all the time, so it's kind of hard to build around someone who's not a regular for your promotion. Um, but they have done really nothing with Will Ospreay in Ring of Honor over the last year or so. The fact that he would want to leave does not surprise me at all. And then finally, speaking of Ring of Honor, Tennille Dashwood, better known as Emma in WWE, signed with Ring of Honor as the Women of Honor's, uh, a part of the Women of Honor division uh, last weekend and will be competing in the upcoming Women of Honor Championship Tournament to crown the inaugural Women of Honor Champion. So, um, great to see Emma in Ring of Honor, I think that's a great fit. I know she's been doing, she's been bucked solid for a lot of indie shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, she will be appearing at a Northeast Wrestling show. Their WrestleFest, I think it's called. It's like their version of WrestleMania here in Connecticut in just a few short weeks on March 2nd, I think it is. A show I'm hoping to go to, by the way, as well. Um, that seems like it should be a stacked show. Emma's on the card, hoping to make it and be able to meet her. One last note here before we move on to the SmackDown and Raw reviews. Uh, the news literally just broke like a minute or two after I finished recording the whole WrestleRant Radio episode. So I figured I would go back and include this in the news section part of the show. Um, but I went on Twitter as soon as I finished recording, saw that WWE had released Rich Swan. So I wanted to give my two cents before I published the episode. But this is hardly a surprise. Swan was suspended, I think, back in early December. Um, on charges of attacking his wife, of battery, or whatever it might have been. So, obviously, he was immediately suspended, and it was pending charges and whether she would press charges. I believe she never ended up pressing charges, his wife, who I believe they're still together, by the way, too. She had posted something on Facebook about forgiving him, and it's okay, whatever. Um, But charges never went through. I don't know if he was found innocent, but he was never convicted of anything. Nonetheless, he was kept off TV, And WWE's wording of the release on their website was that Rich Swan and WWE came to terms on his release and agreed to mutually part ways. So it wasn't WWE firing him. They probably talked to him and said, hey, we're probably not going to use you. We're probably not going to bring you back to TV after what happened, um, considering the bad publicity would probably elicit. So why why not let you go out of your contract early? Why not just release you ahead of schedule? 
And he's probably like, yeah, sure, it probably works out for the best. So I'm sure that's probably what happened, but I did want to note that because it is something of a big deal. A former Cruiserweight champion. Um, a pretty notable face in the 205 Live brand. And one of the more over guys as part of that division. Very talented, had a very bright future. The guy's super young. So when that news broke initially about the, um, the possible charges and the battery and the kidnapping and everything that he was possibly going to be charged with, um, was terrible news. And it was also terrible timing, too, because he was preparing to contend for the Cruiserweight Championship against Enzo Amore. And then Enzo Amore got released. So the division is pretty much cursed at this point. It is unfortunate he's gone from the company, but it's probably for the better at this point. Hopefully he can work on his issues and we can see him back in the company at some point down the road. But in the meantime, it was probably for the better that they mutually agreed to part ways. So that's a lot of news. We took up over half the show here today talking about all the news from the last uh, week or so in, in wrestling. But So I'll try to give my uh, thoughts real quick right now on Raw and SmackDown before we wrap it up. But both shows, Raw I thought was very good this week, um, just all things considered. I thought it was a very good show in building up Elimination Chamber. A lot of good matches. SmackDown not so much. There was some solid in-ring action. But the overall flow, the overall direction of SmackDown for a while now has been in the fucking shitter. The show could not feel any more irrelevant. So anyway, from Raw, quick highlights. Um, John Cena beat The Miz, and The Miz will now enter the Elimination Chamber match first. Um, I put last year, but it should be first. So that was a good match. We've seen Cena and Miz a number of times, but they work well together. That was a fun match. Uh, Seth Rollins confronted Kurt Angle, who also announced... Uh, Kind of went under the radar this week, but I assume this was going to be the case anyway. Jason Jordan will be missing WrestleMania with an injury. So, it was reported last week, we talked about it here on WrestleRant Radio, um, that Jordan had underwent successful neck surgery, I think on Tuesday of last week, and that his status for WrestleMania was up in the air. So, what John and I were discussing, in my idea, was to have Rollins go up against Kurt Angle at WrestleMania. There's still something there. I mean, you could put Rollins in a few other spots with like a Balor or a Miz or, a, you know, in the mixed tag team match with Ronda Rousey against the Authority. They have the history there. But to me, it made the most sense to do Rollins and Angle because you could always say, and Angle kind of teased the heel turn on Monday's Raw when he said, oh, Jordan might be missing WrestleMania. The fans cheered. Savage. Total savage reaction from the fans and wherever they were. Um, Kurt Angle's like, oh, I don't appreciate that, blah, blah, blah. And he's right, too. You may not like Jason Jordan even as a character, but the fact that he's missing WrestleMania due to injury really fucking sucks. For him, and, um, you know, the, he had the whole feud going with Rollins. It looked like they were going to be facing off at WrestleMania. It might be a blessing in disguise for Rollins. I would much rather see Rollins Angle than Rollins and Jordan, but that's simply my two cents. But nonetheless, um, so Rollins confronted Kurt Angle, said, I want in the Fatal 4-Way tonight, thus making it a Fatal 5-Way, to earn my entry in the Elimination Chamber match. The main event saw Balor, Rollins, uh, Bray Wyatt, Woken Matt Hardy, and Apollo Crews fighting for that final spot in the Elimination Chamber. Very fun main event. Ended in a draw when both Rollins and Balor pinned Bray Wyatt. So it was announced, not on the show itself, but on fucking Facebook Live, soon after the show ended, that it's going to be a seven-man Elimination Chamber match. That sounds like a mess, but I hope they work it out where... I don't know. I, I hope it's I hope it's not a mess. They have enough talent in that match to make it work, but it's like, woof. Like, I don't know. That's That seems like it's a bit uh, overbooked, in my opinion. But the real, the real takeaway from that main event for me was not the result. 
or what came out of it. It was who lost, not who won, but rather who lost. That being Bray Wyatt. Now, they shouldn't have pinned Matt Hardy, but Apollo Crews was in that match too. Why couldn't they have pinned Apollo Crews? Why did Bray Wyatt have to be pinned by both Rollins and Balor? That, to me, did not make Wyatt look all that strong at all, which is obviously not a priority by the company, but whatever. Um, elsewhere on the show, we had Bailey versus Sasha Banks. Very good match. Uh, further planting the seeds for a Sasha Banks heel turn. Afterward, Nia Jax attacked both women, and um, who, who she will be facing Asuka at Elimination Chamber. It's been already established by this point that Nia Jax is not winning, but if she does, she will be added in the Raw Women's Championship match at WrestleMania. Um, but they also put together a tremendous video package on Asuka's winning streak over the last two and a half years between her time in NXT, her NXT Women's Championship reign, um, arriving on Raw, winning at Survivor Series at the Royal Rumble. So it was cool to see Asuka showcased the, the way that she was. So uh, good stuff there that it was uh, very, very well done. They need more stuff like that on the main roster. And that was about it. Braun Strowman and Elias interacted with Braun bringing out a fucking... Is it a bass or a bass? I think it's a bass. That that looks like how you would pronounce it. But bringing out an orchestra instrument and performing in front of Elias before attacking him and hitting that aforementioned instrument over the back of Elias. So that was entertaining. Uh, Roman and Sheamus had a good match too. So overall, it was a good show. I enjoyed Raw this week. I uh, did a very good job of setting up the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view in a few weeks. And I think it sounds like it should be a solid show on paper. For SmackDown, like I said, um, just the show is becoming a chore to watch, and it's shorter than Raw, which is not a good sign. Uh, SmackDown's been in a rut for a while now, but it's like there is barely anything to get excited about on this show. The Usos are great. I like all the champions they have. Love AJ as the WWE champion. Bobby Roode as the US champion. The tag team champions are the Usos. We have Charlotte as the women's champion. Yet nothing really ever seems to matter. The women's division is a mess. No one can give two shits about the constant six-woman tag team matches and the battle royals and this and that. No one cares. So that's a big enough issue as it is. The WWE Championship picture is clouded right now. Ziggler and Corbin being added for no reason at all. I know they beat Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn respectively in this week's show, but it's like Corbin, I like the guy. He's been a loser for months. He wins, he wins one match, and is added into the WWE Championship pay-per-view main event. For some reason, that does not make any sense to me. What makes even less sense is the fact that Ziggler would win the United States Championship after winning no matches, barely any matches at all, in 2017. So he wins the United States Championship. He then proceeds to vacate it and walk out on SmackDown two days after that, disappears for a month, returns for no real reason at all in the Rumble, Gets tossed out in 90 seconds, comes back on Sm comes back on SmackDown two weeks after that, and is added to the WWE Championship match at Fastlane. Why? Why? Other than merely trying to appease Ziggler to sign a new contract, beyond that, this made absolutely no sense. And the match was good. I enjoyed Ziggler and Zayn. I think it was a first them ever match. Um, I enjoyed that as the main event, but the booking of the show is fucking abysmal. And they really need to address it coming out of WrestleMania. I don't know if the SmackDown writers went over to Raw. I don't know if it's Road Dogg's fault. But there is something going on over at SmackDown. Now, I know Jinder's no longer the champion, which is a huge help. But the show still feels meaningless nowadays. 
Um, and that was pretty much it from SmackDown. Jinder attacked Bobby Roode and Orton, so it looks like we're getting a three-way uh, for the U.S. Championship at Fastlane. We got a fucking three-way for the U.S. title. We got a five-way for the WWE title. All the women gunning for the SmackDown Women's Championship. All these tagged, multi-tag team matches. Nothing matters on SmackDown. It's ridiculous. They're shoving all these people in all these multi-man matches. I read from, I think, uh, the Twitter account, at WrestleVote, and they're pretty good with their sources and reliable information and stuff like that. They had said on Twitter just today or yesterday or something, you know, recently, whatever, that the reason for the multi-man matches on both Raw and SmackDown on Fastlane and the Elimination Chamber pay-per-views is that WWE wants us to think that anything can happen before WrestleMania, that it's anyone's game to walk out with the number one contendership or the WWE Championship on those respective shows, which is so stupid because it's not working. We know it's going to be AJ Nakamura, as it should be. We know it's going to be Roman and Brock. So shoving all these people into these world championship main events on the pay-per-views before your WrestleMania pay-per-view, to me, is so ass-backwards. And it also does not explain why we have so many other people involved in these other championship pictures. A three-way for that belt, a six-way for that belt, a five-way for these belts. No one cares. Nobody cares. If you try to focus on everyone at one time, and I said this in hashtag AskGSM on Wednesday, if you try to focus on everyone at one time, no one ever gets over. That's the problem they're facing right now. Uh, real quick, before we wrap it up, Mixed Match Challenge on Tuesday. We had Rusev and Lana beating Elias and Bailey in a first-round match to advance in the tourney. Match was what it was. Uh, not nearly as good as some of the other matches I've seen on the show in recent weeks, but it was fun for what it was. I like the pairing of Elias and Bailey. I don't think we're going to get much of it moving forward. I know they're teased for, like, they're being advertised for a, uh, a house show match. I think an MSG in a few weeks. Um, so it would be cool if they continued that on-air relationship, but I don't think that's the uh, direction they're going in. 205 Live from Tuesday to uh, two more excellent first-round matches in the WWE Cruiserweight Championship Tournament. First, we had Mark Andrews beating Akira Tozawa in a very entertaining opener. And then we had Drew Gulak beating Tony Nese in the main event, which was tremendous. Drew Gulak ditching any comedic aspect of his character. Tony Nese was also really, really good here. But Gulak was great. He was super aggressive. Uh, just a no-nonsense attitude. He was all business here. And it was awesome. It was uh, a dominant win for Gulak. And he might be going all the way in this tournament. So, great stuff there. And it was also announced that on next, next week's episode, we're getting Mustafa Ali versus Gentleman Jack Gallagher in a first-round match. And Gallagher was approached by Drake Maverick, who told him that he's got to change up his gear. He cannot wrestle in the clothes that he's been wearing and that he's been wrestling in for the last couple of months. So, he's got to change that up. But also... Arya Daivari taking on Buddy Murphy in a first-round match in the Cruiserweight Championship tourney. So, that's a name you probably haven't heard in a while, and I'm very happy to hear it. Uh, Buddy Murphy, I think, is a perfect fit for 205 Live. Now that it's under the guidance, the control um, of Triple H, I think it's a great fit for Buddy Murphy. He was doing nothing in NXT. It's not even like the guy was losing every week on TV. He has not been on TV in literally like a year. We never see Buddy Murphy on TV nowadays, so uh, the fact that he's now being put on 205 Live, hopefully on a permanent basis, I see no reason why he can't advance in this tournament. It's fucking Arya Daivari that he's facing, so I would hope that he gets in. He, he I hope he gets until he gets as, as far as the second round, if not further. But very happy to see him in the tournament. 
Um, also, it was reported that he had replaced Leo Rush. It was rumored earlier on in the day that Leo Rush might be a part of the Cruiserweight Championship Tournament. Reportedly, Buddy, Murph, uh, Buddy Murphy had replaced him uh, last minute as part of that decision to include him on the show. Uh, Leo Rush is still young enough. He has some sort of story going for him on NXT with the losing streak, even though he's been a part of like two matches. But they're obviously doing something with him on NXT. So they can keep him on NXT. He's like 23 years old anyway. He's young enough where he has plenty of time to get over and make it to 205 Live with the main roster. So Buddy Murphy, I think, is a great fit for that show. And that was from uh, Pro Wrestling Sheep. They were the ones that reported that it could have been Leo Rush, but they ended up going with Buddy Murphy at the last minute. And finally, real quick before I wrap it up, from NXT on Wednesday, the Valentine's Day edition. For the opening match, we had Pete Dunne successfully defending his NXT, or rather WWE, United Kingdom Championship against Roderick Strong in an excellent match. This was fucking fantastic. If you have not already seen it, please do. Probably the best match I saw all week was from these two on WWE TV. Uh, Really, really good match. Dunne hits the bitter end for the victory. Still your United Kingdom Champion. Um, it's basically like their mid-card belt at this point in NXT is that UK title. And it should be, because Dunn's great, and we need more of Dunn in NXT. I'm actually kind of shocked he's not under a more exclusive deal to the company, but hopefully he is soon, because the guy is fucking money. After that, we had Killian Dane interrupting Aleister Black, who uh, had previously announced his intentions to go after the NXT championship, so it looks like Black and Dane might be squaring off in a number one contenders match at some point in the, in the not-so- you know, in the not-so-distant future. After that, we had TM61 beating Andrew Duckworth and John Schuyler. Andrew Duckworth might be one of the better jobber names I've heard in some time from any promotion. Andrew Duckworth. Great jobber name. They lost. He was a good showcase for TM61, but great jobber name, though. Then at the main event for the NXT Women's Championship, it was Shayna Baszler beating Ember Moon by DQ. Uh, therefore, Moon retained their NXT Women's title, but the DQ came after Kyrie Zane got involved. So this was more of an angle than a match, but I thought it was well done. There was a lot of intensity there from Moon and Baszler. Baszler dominated Ember. Uh, Moon still selling the arm injury from Rumble Weekend from Takeover Philly, so that was well done. But yeah, Kyrie Zane showing up attacking Shayna Baszler, who had uh, ambushed her. He, she had ambushed her on I think one of the final few Smack or uh, final few NXTs of 2017 putting Sane in the shelf for a few months, um, obviously in storyline. Now Sane is back. No, actually, Sane was in the Women's Rumble, so I take that back, but nonetheless, uh, she's back in NXT and is targeting Shayna Baszler. So those two squared off in the finals in the Mae Young Classic. They have good chemistry together. Um, I would assume this would make it a three-way for the NXT Women's title at TakeOver New Orleans between Baszler, Sane, and Ember Moon. And I could see that being the show where Baszler wins the belt. And Ember Moon goes up to the main roster, and then we get a Baszler-Sane feud over the belt moving forward. So overall, a very enjoyable episode from NXT on Wednesday. Just a good week overall for WWE, from Raw, SmackDown, Mixed Match Challenge, 205 Live, and NXT. So uh, SmackDown, I thought was a great show. Raw, rather, was a great show. SmackDown, not so much. Um, NXT is well worth checking out as well, as well as 205 Live, which has been firing at all cylinders since, coincidentally enough, Triple H took over, and I say that sarcastically, because it's obviously the reason why the show's been so much better, um, since Triple H took over 205 Live a few short weeks ago. So anyway, guys, as we wrap up here, 
Um, we will be hopefully back to having guests here on the show in the coming weeks, as they mentioned at the start of the show. If you would like to appear on a future episode of WrestleRant Radio, reach out from Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, the website, whatever it might be. Uh, reach out to yours truly. Definitely work something out. Usually I record the shows on Wednesdays, and they go up at midnight on Thursdays. This week I didn't have anyone to record with. Um, I didn't reach out to anyone to come here on the show, so I figured I would just record it on Thursday. And as I said earlier, I'm glad I did, because a lot of news came out from the uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter. A lot of interesting tidbits from uh, Thursday morning, so I'm glad I waited to record the show. But nonetheless, guys, thank you for checking out WrestleRant Radio every single week. If you want to support the show, be sure to share the show on Twitter and all your social media platforms. But moreover than that, subscribe to WrestleRant Radio on Apple Podcasts. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app on iTunes. You'll get every new episode on Thursdays and every archived episode ever dating back to October of 2013. It's a steal of a deal, completely free. Check it out. You can also listen to the show every single week on nextairwrestling.net. Also on the site, check out my weekly reviews of Raw, SmackDown, Main Event, NXT, Mixed Match Challenge, 205 Live, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, Lucha Underground when that comes back, and everything else in between. So with all that being said, folks, you can find me on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant. Find me on Facebook as well at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews on YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash c backslash graham.gsm.matthews We'll be back next Thursday with another all-new episode of WrestleRant Radio. In the meantime, in the between time, folks, have an awesome rest of your week. I'm Graham Gsm Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Do I, oh, do I